0: What Blind Looks Like podcast. This is episode five, and we're going to be talking about orientation and mobility in the cane. But like always, we're going to start talking about our week
1: and what we've been up to. So Kimberly, how was your week? Oh, it was great. Definitely keeping busy. Um, Just today, I wound up watching, well, yeah, through YouTube. Um, A live stream of a friend of mine who is involved in a blind hockey tournament in Canada right now. That's awesome. Yeah, I know. Just thinking like blind hockey. Oh gosh, that must get pretty dangerous. Or there must be a lot of collisions on the ice and things like that. And I can't speak for the collisions part, but... I can say that the commentary for it was very good. Um, They were playing against Canada, which they definitely know how to play hockey. So did the Americans, but um, they had their work cut out for them, the American team. And it's through the Paralympics, I believe. And um, I don't know. It was just so interesting. I was so excited just for the fact that I could follow along, that there was like commentary during that. And it would say the the players and who was doing what and stuff. So um, I've never even heard of the concept, much less watched a game, so that was thoroughly enjoyable. That's awesome! What about you?
0: Well, I have been, oh my gosh, I've been so busy, I've been insanely busy, um, so as you guys all know, I don't know if you guys have read the Facebook and the Twitter updates that I posted, but... Kimberly and I like we we have lives as part of this podcast and so like we've taken up things and one of the things that I've taken up is a job as a maintenance coordinator for my parents cleaning business they own a cleaning business and uh, they just took up a hospital so I help them with coordinating and making sure that everybody you know the staff that we hired are knows what rooms to clean, when to clean them, and making sure that everything, that all their cleaning supplies is there and that we, you know, if we run out to make sure to let them know and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, that's, like, really, really boring, so I haven't really been up to much. Uh, But now, now that the weather is nicer, I really do hope to get out more and work out. I need to get back to working out, like, ASAP. But anyway, that's... All I've really been up to, I haven't really been up to much, we'll just leave that there. And we're going to get to our topic, which is orientation and mobility, otherwise known as O&M. So, a lot of you guys, well, you guys don't know, you guys are, you know, the general public, but um, sometimes you have probably wondered or asked yourself, like, oh, how does a blind person learn how to get around? And so, the answer to that is... They learn orientation and mobility. And O&M is a profession which focuses on instructing individuals who are blind or visually impaired with safe and effective travel through their environment. An individual O&M specialist can work for schools, government agencies, or they can work as private contractors. Orientation refers to the ability to know where you are and where you want to go, or where you're moving from, like if you're moving to one room for another, or if you're walking downtown for a shopping trip, and mobility refers to the ability to move safely, efficiently, and effectively from one place to another, such as being able to walk without tripping or falling, crossing streets, and using public transportation. I know that's like a lot, <laughs> a lot to um, really cover, but that's what O&M is. I'll start with the history of O&M. So, O&M, Orientation and Mobility, began to develop during and immediately after the Second World War. The soldiers who have been blinded in battle, they were sent to recuperate at an army hospital. So, in order to help these newly blinded soldiers, they had people who worked at a school for the blind, and they got together with the people from the hospital and they developed a new profession called Orientation and Mobility. I'm not gonna go throughout the whole detail because it's just too much to say, so I'm just gonna give you the short notes. So, and uh, the person who taught them O and M believed that these strategies. Well, oh my god, hold on, I'm sorry. So basically, like they like they taught them how to how to use a cane, because they were walking around with like support canes, I guess, based on like what I read. And so you basically. He decided to... Well, basically, he developed a technique using a cane that was lightweight and that was longer for them to get around. And so, he, like, developed, like, the techniques and everything. And so, that is why... That is how we have O&M that's used today. But, I mean, if you really want to, like, learn the actual history, I guess, you could just Google it. I did my research, but I, like... I'm not giving you so much explanation because it'd be way too much for this podcast... And it would make our podcast go on longer. So, but anyway, I'm going to get our first guest to come on. Well, unless Kimberly, do you want to say anything?
1: I'll just add that in this episode, we're going to be, yeah, like as Angie said, talk about OM and the cane and how it's used and the different types of canes, the different types of certifications needed to um, teach cane skills and um, what environments to use the canes in and the different ways to use the cane. Um, So we're going to have a couple of guests come on in a minute who are going to, who have been um, cane instructors with certifications of different types and they're going to explain the techniques they use, the type of um, different students they work with, um, all age levels, all from different backgrounds. Some of them have just lost sight. Some of them didn't get very good training or just need a refresher course. Um, All of extremely good um, skills to have and learn because let's face it when we are um when we are blind or become blind we just need to learn how to get places because it's an essential way of being and so um i'm sure i get a lot when i speak to classes how do you know where you are and and what what about this and that and things like that and it's so we're going to um satisfy all those questions of yours that you want to ask people but are, are too afraid and um, see us around town are like wow that person really gets around with their I see them with their cane you know walking all around I just think that's that, that's so great so we're going to um, share a few of our guests with you and they can explain more about everything I just Disgust.
0: Yes, yes. And, um, well, you know, you might, after listening to this episode, you might see a blind person getting around, you know, getting around town or doing, going about their business. And you might know, oh, well, well they, they, they had O&M, they, they know how to get around and everything. Or you might know somebody that is newly blind and needs resources to get services and O&M is a very important service that they should have so they could be able to lead independent lives so anyway as I said I'm going to get the first guest on to the podcast in just a bit
2: hello Rob
0: hey Rob how are you Hi.
2: I'm good and you
0: I'm good this is Angie and Kimberly you're on our podcast yeah.
2: <laughs> you guys sound like you're in the same
0: place that's we're good. actually not you but you sound like you're with us too. yeah <laughs> oh, we're in the good. same yeah we're all in the same in the same place remotely i honestly wish that i could have my co-host and my guests in studio that'd be really nice but i have like a really small project studio
2: <laughs> it's all good
0: <laughs> so um so we were just kind of giving a little bit of history about orientation and mobility. I didn't really go into so much detail just because my podcast would be like insanely long. But so in case our listeners wanted to know, Rob is a O&M instructor. You're still doing O&M, right?
2: Uh, not, not really. Not much anymore.
0: Well, He's a former OM instructor and he's blind. So yes, blind people can be OM instructors too, in case if you were wondering.
1: They make the Oh best my god, O&M yes. <laughs> yes,
0: that is true. So Rob, do you wanna do you wanna tell us a little bit about yourself and that sort of thing?
2: Sure. So it was a dark and sun day. well I have been working in the blindness field for, um, more than 10 years and, um, I am married and I have a three-year-old. I currently, um, work at Blind Incorporated and I have been working there for more than 10 years. Unbelievably, it, it goes by really fast and I absolutely love teaching O&M, and I love working in the uh, structured discovery aspect of o and I think it's the best field. But you said to tell you about myself. So um, I'm originally from Illinois. I moved here in 2009, but I didn't go directly from Illinois to Minnesota. I actually went down to the Louisiana Center for the Blind in 2007 and while I was there I realized that I really liked the philosophy and and I actually saw myself as a potential uh, O&M person and um, my instructor, Roland Allen at the time, suggested that I give it a look. So I did. I went and talked to Dr. Bell, who's the uh, director of the Institute on Blindness at Louisiana Tech and I decided that that was uh, a career for me. So I went to Louisiana Tech for a year, started in November of 2007 and got my master's degree and walked the stage. I think it was November 19th of 2008. It was a tough year. People say that grad school can be really hard if you do a two-year program or an 18-month program, but let me tell you, a year program, it was tough. But I persevered and I got through it. And wow, uh,
1: I never knew you finished it in wow. a year. Wow.
2: Yeah, Talk it's to you. Thank you. It's, uh, <laughs> it was an experience. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, in December, I interviewed at Blind Incorporated, uh, then the director, Sean Mayo, who was the executive director at the time. And it was the two day, I mean, people you hear about people having an interview, you know, an hour, maybe a couple hours. This was a two-day interview. The first <laughs> day I, I went in and um, met with the director, got a tour, met with a few staff, observed some o classes and some of the other classes that Blind Incorporated offered, you know, industrial arts, home management, uh, braille and technology, and the careers class, and after two days i met with the director and had another another interview and i was offered a position and i accepted and i started in january of 2009 now let me tell you (laughs) anyone who wants to move from the south to the north um because at the time i was still living in louisiana um it's it's not a big deal unless you do it in january
0: oh my goodness that must have <laughs> yeah. been cold it must have been like wow
2: yeah it was it was quite the experience uh, I, I learned to shiver a lot <laughs>
0: until i got used to
2: it of course it had to be the coldest winter since 2004 that year so <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah it was quite the experience but it was great um and i uh i decided it was kind of one of those things when i started working there i said oh i'll be here a year you know then maybe i'll do something else and a year went by and i said okay i'll do it another year and then two years went by finally i stopped even saying that and and then um this uh this january we just had it was 10 years it's goes by so quick i bet so
0: can you you. tell us a little i mean well before that like do you have anything else about yourself that you want to that you want to add or anything else that you want to say? No?
2: No, I mean, not really. Um, obviously, I have a three-year-old, I'm a parent, and I'd say um, juggling my career responsibilities with my parenting responsibilities has been, um, well, has been a challenge. <laughs> but I, I think I've got it covered now. That's awesome. Uh, but in the beginning, it was tough. I was uh, struggling because I was one of those overachievers that would work more than you know 40 right. hours a week and always on call and did all that so I mean I also I've did other um, I mean I can tell you the, my whole employment history if you want, <laughs> no
0: it's okay essentially
2: I don't think you want to I don't think the podcast needs to be four hours no. long.
0: <laughs> but <laughs> that's awesome though that you you know you're happy with your career and you know you've got a family you got a little three-year-old kids are fun A lot of work with their fun, especially at that age, huh? Yep. I can only imagine. And
2: and they're like little teenagers. (laughs) They know
0: everything. (laughs) I bet. I mean, I don't have kids, but I have nieces and nephews, so I kind of get it a little bit. But anyway, do you want to explain to our listeners what structured discovery is?
2: Yes. Um, So structured discovery is essentially using your environment as a teaching tool. Um, in the conventional method, you hear a lot about how people do route travel. They learn how to get places. You know, They'll have an own instructor show them how to get from class to class when they go on campus. Or you know, they want to go to the grocery store from their house. They learn a route how to get from point A to point B. Which is not a bad thing um, until you run into construction or a mm-hmm. uh, closed sidewalk or something or you you make a wrong turn and then you've got problems because you're not sure how to get to where you need to go because you're confused or lost and a lot of people at that point in time start to panic so one of the main components of structured discovery is learning to problem solve so when i say we use the environment as a teaching tool it is exactly exactly that um, we start off students learning how to get from point A to point D. So we send them on assignments to maybe, um, walk a few blocks, one direction, you know, and go back, just work on specific basic, um, travel. I call it like learning how to cross intersections, um, navigate in and out of a parking lot. Usually they find themselves in it and then have to figure out how to get out of it. And, and I oh, use yeah. what's.
1: Yes, I'm sure
2: Kimberly remembers that. Um, I They're use what's black called... holes. Yes, exactly. I called them the black holes of cane travel wow. because it doesn't matter what you're doing. You could be, you know, all cool walking down the sidewalk and about five minutes later, you're like, wait a minute, where am I? This is not the sidewalk. There's, <laughs> and a, I use there's what's... a car here. What's going <laughs> on? <laughs> <laughs> and I use what's called Socratic questioning. So Socratic questioning is, probing questions to encourage someone to think outside of their norm so for example someone gets stuck in a parking lot i'll say okay so tell me what you hear and sometimes someone will say well i hear traffic okay good and where is that traffic oh it's behind me or it's to my right it's to my left okay Um, where's the is there any sun out today oh yeah yeah it's you know it's in front of me. Oh, good. Where's the sun supposed to be at? You know, one o'clock in the afternoon. Well, in front of me. Oh, excellent, excellent. So, you know, we're going in the right direction. You know, so that it's prob- probing questions to encourage someone to think for themselves. Um, it's it promotes what's called intrinsic thought. So, intrinsic meaning the the person starts to think for themselves because ultimately by the time they're done with their program i'm not going to be on their shoulder going hey <laughs> you want to go over there because <laughs> uh, so i teach them how to navigate out of parking lots um, and how to do problem solving so if a tree falls down and blocks the sidewalk what are you going to do you're going to turn around and walk back are you going to maybe find your way to the road and walk around that tree um, if it's an extremely busy road, you certainly probably don't want to go in that road. So maybe backtrack a little, get to the other side of the uh, road, and continue on. Those are all components of of problem solving and structured okay. discovery. Okay.
0: Wow, that was a good um, that was a good explanation of structured discovery. Do you want to talk about the white cane a little bit?
2: Certainly. So we use what's called the long white cane, and generally it's length is between, I like to say between the nose and forehead. It's usually between, um, I would say, uh, the chin and forehead, depending on the person, on the instructor, on the individual. There's a lot of characteristics that come into that. But essentially, it's a lot longer than what you see in a more conventional approach, where the the cane maybe is up to their sternum, or maybe a little longer, maybe a little shorter. Um, And the cane, and what we use, are um, either made out of, the canes are made out of fiberglass or carbon fiber, uh, which makes them extremely light. Um, in fiberglass, it's actually flexible. If you uh, have heard what's called a Bob Riley, I think they're changing their name to something else, but essentially it's an extremely flexible fiberglass cane. It's, it's similar to the NFB white cane. Um, and then there's another cane called the Woven Fiberglass which is um, you hear what's called an Iowa yep. cane or a Nebraska I have, cane. I have an Iowa
0: Tech cane and I love it.
2: I awesome. do I
0: do want to try the the Bob Riley cane.
2: Yeah, they're uh, they're pretty cheap too. They're like 20-25 bucks. No, and they're pretty durable too. Uh carbon fiber. Yeah. Excuse me. Uh, carbon fiber is actually kind of moving on people are kind of moving away from carbon fiber because it it's strong and durable but it's also brittle so it it can break um crack uh but if you're gonna buy a folding uh, excuse me not a folding a telescoping cane i would suggest getting a a carbon fiber because i think they're much more durable than the fiberglass variety but that's my personal opinion but we use um a metal tip it's called a metal glide tip and what that tip and the cane combined do is you get a lot more tactile feedback so you're able to tell the differences between streets and driveways um you can tell tactile differences indoors like t- between tile different tiles different textures um and you get really good echolocation and echolocation is when you tap your cane on the ground you get a sound that reverberates around, um, in the environment around you. And you can actually tell, like, if you're getting close to a building, you know, if you're in a parking lot and you're looking for a door, you tap your cane a few times and you're going to hear that. Um, if the building's nearby, you're going to hear that sound come back to you. When you hear that, that tells you where that building is. So it's a, it's a pretty unique and powerful tool, um, that, I think everyone should use because it's a lot lighter than the conventional canes. A lot of the conventional canes are made out of either aluminum or um, something called... can't remember what it's called now. Graphite? But yeah, Graphite, th- thank you. Graphite, that's what I was thinking of. I, I, usually I think of pencils when it comes <laughs> to me, but it didn't happen today. And graphite, it's durable. It's extremely durable, but it's also heavy.
1: It is so and, heavy. Oh my god. And gosh.
2: usually... You get a marshmallow tip or um, a nylon tip or, or something like tip. that. When I was younger. Yep. Pencil tip, which I didn't I um, absolutely hated because it would get stuck in oh, everything. Oh my
0: gosh, yes. <laughs> and
2: hmm. then I had the rolling wheel or the rolling mm-hmm. tip, which yeah. I would just I would just play with. I would walk. <laughs> like I would just hold someone's arm and walk and make it spin really fast.
0: <laughs> That's so cute.
2: yeah i did that when i was like
0: oh (laughs) i was gonna say like i was picturing like a young child doing that you know (laughs) oh that's so cute and rob's like i'm 22 i was 22 then like okay (laughs) rob's like it wasn't that cute when i did it
1: (laughs) (laughs) what the things you do when you're lost in those parking lots right
2: Yes, exactly.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so the, the cane is extremely powerful, and it's a, it's a great tool. And you get a lot of information with it. It's flexible. It's versatile. There's two t- techniques that we use. Um, I'm sure this is going to be your next question, so I'll just jump ahead and answer it. <laughs> the two techniques that we use, one of them is called pencil grip. And you essentially, just how it sounds, you hold your cane like a pencil in front of you. Your hand is usually about um, belly button height in front of your belly button, and you you use your wrist and you maneuver your cane back and forth, left to right. And the benefit of this is you can slide your hand up the cane towards the top of the handle, or further down, and that changes the angle and and how far your cane sticks out. So if you're in a crowded place or um, a you know a hallway, something where maybe um, the next technique I'm going to talk to you about. would is called open palm when you're you need to uh, pull in on your cane a little bit um, then that's that's the technique to use also when going up and down stairs uh, the pencil grip is great for that as well the next technique is called open palm and it it actually is exactly how that sounds you essentially move your cane left to right or um, by opening and closing your your hand when you open your hand your cane. Depending on what hand it is, it moves to one side, and then when you close your hand, your cane moves to the other side. And that actually allows you to use the full length of your cane. So if you're a 65-inch cane like like I use, then you're going to be reaching out probably about at least four, four and a half feet in front of you, which gives you about two, maybe three, four steps, depending on how, how fast you walk, time to slow down before you run into an obstacle or find a drop-off or whatnot. Um, And the benefit of this as well is that it encourages you to walk faster, have a better posture, because a lot of times with a shorter cane, people like to lean forward, thinking that's going to tell them that something's coming up ahead, and and they'll give them a little bit, um, but having that long cane allows them to walk more naturally and have more confidence in themselves and portray that confidence to the public. And, and if you're a confident uh, walking individual, then you're less likely to be bothered by the public and people will appraise you as somebody who really knows where they're going. And I, I feel that they treat you with a little bit that's more good, respect.
1: Cause that's important. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, I'm glad you went over the different grips. I do get a lot of people who are like, why do you need it so long? Or that's way too long to have, I don't think you need one that long, but I just say, you know, if you needed to use a cane, you want to know where you were have a longer response time as to find out where you are as you're getting on the step? Like which would you rather? you know, and the cane can seem long but you went over the different styles and ways to use the can and the different grips. And I almost always use pencil grip when I'm in public um, just because I don't want to trip people up and I don't want to have to, because let's face it, society is very unobservant when it comes to us sometimes. And they're so engrossed in their own conversations and things like that. They don't even like know that we're upon them until we're upon them. But that's why I like using the, longer teams.
0: Okay. like are there any other questions or any other things that we should ask rob
1: hmm. oh explain about in step
2: oh thank you I, I can't believe i missed that see i'm getting rusty already. <laughs> uh, <laughs> walking in step that's it it's a um that actually helps you walk a straighter line um also walking faster will do that as well but walking in step is essentially when you step forward with your right foot, your cane is going to be on your left side, and you step forward with your left foot, and your cane is going to be on the right side. So I tell people, think of it as you're kicking it forward. So you're kicking it over to the opposite side. You step forward with that right foot, and your cane's going shoo, to the left, and then you step forward with that left foot, and your cane's going shoo, to the right. Hey, you can get sound effects in this. Thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um,
2: and then the faster you walk, um, which also promotes confidence, you're actually going to walk a straighter line. And and you bring up a good point about walking in public. If you're at the mall, it's probably not the best time to be using your open palm. You're more likely to want to use that pencil grip because you can adjust quickly. Because, you know, crowds vary from from area of the mall to area of the mall. Like you start going into the food court, you know, you're definitely going to want to choke up on your phone <laughs> a little bit. And maybe slow down and, and, and pay attention to what's going on around you as opposed to if you're – just hauling down the sidewalk because you're about five minutes late to class and you need to make sure you get there, then um, you're going to want to use that um, open palm technique so you can walk as fast as possible without um, running into obstacles.
1: Yes. One thing I want to review and go over is that Rob just mentioned the different types of canes, the straight cane, and he said telescopic. I'll explain a little more about that. The straight canes are the long white canes that you cannot fold up. They're just automatically straight. Um, Most people use these in environments like outdoors. Um, They use them inside too, but for convenience, so um, we just use them outdoors mostly. I like the folding canes because you can fold them up and they're still lightweight. They're, they are a little more expensive um, depending on the types that you get, but also the telescopic is a type of cane that I've had mine called and it was in a medical vicinity, like a uh, nurse actually called my cane a wand. <laughs> and <laughs> I was just like, you're a nurse and you don't know what this thing is, you know, but it is um collapsed and it does kind of look like a wand, but the tip is a little <laughs> different than a wand tip, um, as we just spoke about the tips, but um it does like it does like go into itself. How would you explain it a little better, one of
2: you? Well, um which part, the wand or the, uh, the telescopic <laughs> exactly. cane?
1: <laughs>
0: exactly. If
2: you're looking for the wand, wand, you'll have to go to um, Hogwarts. I, I think they're the. <laughs> uh, but the cane, the telescopic cane, it's the best way to put it is think of it as an. if um, you ever see the old school radio antennas. Well, not everybody maybe has, but. How <laughs> What's a
1: radio it's... antenna? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. Um, so it kind of fold, It slides in. So usually the cane has like four or five pieces, sometimes more. And the pieces kind of slide into each other, which makes it really small. So you get the, what was it say? Uh, say you have a 65-inch cane. After it's all folded up, you might have an eight-inch um, eight long piece with a, a tip that sticks out, obviously, because the tip won't go inside, which is a good thing because it'd be really hard to get it out. And it just kind of pulls out. Now, the, the best part about that is if you're on a plane and you have your long cane, but it's tucked away, you know, next to the fuel fuselage on the floor, and then you got two people in between you and that uh, and your cane, then what I do is I just open up my bag, pull out my either um, NFB folding cane or pull out a telescopic cane and pull that out, And it, and how it works is it uses um, friction to tighten up. So when you pull from the tip all the way up to the um, the handle that you hold on to, you pull that really tight. And the tighter you pull it, the the longer it's going to stay together. Uh, that's probably the best way to put it. <laughs> uh, and then you and then you go on your way and come back and you, you can just push it back down. And sometimes if it's really tight, you got to twist them a little bit to get them to cl- um to collapse. But it works really well. And, and I bring up the NFB cane because the NFB folding cane is much different than all the other canes on the market. It's it's light. It is much lighter than what you would see as a more conventional cane because it's made out of fiberglass. Or actually, it's either made out of fiberglass or carbon fiber. Now that I think about it, I'm not really sure which is which one it is. But I can tell you, it, it's not very flexible, but it works really well Um it's not my cane of choice. Neither one really is. I, I use them for short-term things. I wouldn't want to use a folding cane to go from place to place because I'm, well, I'm kind of picky. <laughs> I like yeah. um, all the information I get with a long white cane. Um, but there are benefits to a folding cane too. Yeah, and you know, and, it... yeah,
0: I can, I can definitely see people. Well, this is going to be our next episode. Spoiler alert, but. People, people Uh-oh. who are uh, dog users, I can I can definitely see them like carrying either a folding cane or a telescopic cane for the times where they don't want to take their dog somewhere, or let's say they're you know they're gonna have their dog take a break or whatever, and they can just take their telescopic cane or their folding cane with them if that makes sense. And actually,
2: yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Actually, the NFB. Um... It's either the NFP or a uh, a vendor of the NFP actually put together a, a uh, telescopic cane that folds up even smaller. Oh, wow. It just has more joints. And the um, market oops. is, I believe, for guide dog users because they can pull it out of their purse or their pocket. And it's a lot smaller. And use it to maybe find a, a trash can or do a quick walk from one place to another. And then they close it back up and, and put it on. Oh, away.
0: wow. That's really, really yep. useful. And I can see that wow. being very, very beneficial. I'm not, like I said before, I'm not a dog user yet, but I plan to eventually. So.
2: Dogs are great. Yes. I had one for, for, uh, what was it, nine oh, years? Wow, really? Yep.
0: <laughs> I could have never guessed. That's awesome.
2: Oh. Yep. That's actually what's um, precipitated me going into the training is that I. My dog was to the point of retirement, and I I realized that I didn't have the confidence in myself anymore because I was so dependent on my dog for that, you know, through college and in what, you know, in the years later, that I didn't really practice my skills until I had to. And at that point, well, they they deteriorated the confidence just wasn't there i had the skill i just didn't believe in myself and one of the real pivotal points was when i was in washington seminar and i'd already started the process um to go to uh louisiana center uh i was at washington seminar and i had the. if you've been there you know where that uh hotel is yeah. uh what is it the holiday inn yep, by the Capitol.
0: yeah yep
2: yep and i couldn't cross at the light i froze wow Yep, yeah, absolutely froze, and I was afraid to cross the street, and that that was scary for me because I have never really been to that point. Um, I've always a, a was a go getter, not afraid of anything, and then at that point, I'm like, "Oh my God," <laughs> you know. Um, so it changed a lot for me, and and I'm glad that I had the training I had, and um, and I've been teaching travel, you know for so long that I, I still have a lot of confidence um, and I'm always going out and, and going places. You know, people have always asked me, Oh, will you get a dog again? Uh, maybe, you know, I'm not going to say right. no dog shed though. Yes. And,
0: yeah. um, and, I, uh, you know,
2: I like dogs, but I don't know if I'm ready to walk that path. Right. Yet. But they are great. Right.
0: And that's something that's in your own time. Cause a lot of people,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, I could always save this for like the next episode, but Yeah, a lot of people assume that just because you're blind, you need a dog, and they ask, are you going to get a dog, are you going to get a dog? And a lot of people are just so comfortable just using their cane, and that's all they want, so.
2: Let me throw in something, since we're talking a little bit about dogs. First of all, I think everyone should have a choice on whether they choose to have a dog or a cane or both. Um, I think everybody has that choice, and um, since I've done both... um, I, I can tell you, you know, people have asked me, you know, I want to get training so I can get a dog. And I say that's great uh, because the more training you have before you get your dog, the better dog handler you're yep. going to be.
0: I've been told that by numerous people.
2: and And I like and I can tell you this. A dog is great. They do things that you're not going to be able to do with your cane because you, it's essentially like having a sighted guide and it takes you places. I mean, that's a quick way to sum it up. Obviously, um, a dog handler could tell you more because I haven't done it in so long, but I I still liked, you know, being a guide dog user. Uh, But if I had had training first before, I think I would have been an even better
0: guide dog user. Yeah, I have a lot of people who I know that are dog handlers and I tell them, Oh, I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to training first or I want to go to training first. They're like, you're making the right decision. That's all they tell me Mm -hmm. you're making the right decision.
2: Exactly. And it's not having more training doesn't hurt. If anything, it it helps. Um, I mean, I could tell you the history of structure discovery if you want, but, um, maybe you could, you, you want to save that for a different episode. Uh, it's up to you. Um,
0: Sure if you know yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> quiz time, pop quiz. Yeah, you can you, yeah, you can you can definitely um, you know Add anything add anything about it. I'll, yeah. I'll give
2: you a, I'll give you a short the short version. Um, so structured discovery um, actually was coined by um, but structured discovery was coined by um, Dodds who wrote an article in 1984. Yes. Right. Yeah, very good. Yeah. would you do research?
1: That's what a podcast is for, yo. Awesome. <laughs> so, I sure did. Uh, 1984.
2: <laughs> he visited on the Nebraska Center for the Blind and um, worked there for a few weeks, and wrote went back to Europe and wrote a report of his experience. And he coined the phrase structured discovery, which later um, was picked up by the point is the NFE really pushed it forward and embraced it, and that's what started working. You know, the NFE training centers all use structured discovery. Nebraska, Iowa, all the way up until uh, the 70s, used uh, structured discovery or a form thereof. New Mexico. No, they still do, um, don't they? Yes and no. They're not National Blindness Professional Certification um, certified. So NBPCB um, has a certification for structured discovery training centers, and they're not. Iowa is not certified, but six training centers are, which is um, Hawaii, Colorado Center, Line Incorporated, Louisiana Center, Nebraska and New Mexico are all certified structure discovery training centers. But if you want to learn cane travel in a structure discovery philosophy, there are a number of NONCs, National Orientation Mobility Certificate, uh, trainers out there or instructors out there who could teach you um, that methodology uh, as, you know, in cane travel. So there are plenty, not, there's plenty of us out there, maybe not, in every single state, but you could always talk to somebody at a national convention, be National Convention or Washington Seminar, and they can always give you a short taste of it. And you could reach out to our training NFB training centers or one of the other training centers and and maybe see if they're a place for you to get training. So Great.
0: Okay. Is anything else no, that I you think wanna we're good. add or yes. Okay, well, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, no problem. I'm really
2: happy to be here. Um, Thanks for inviting me uh, on your podcast, and uh, I look forward to talking to you guys again.
0: Great, yes. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much. It was a
1: pleasure Uh, to have you. Yes, and tell your friends. (laughs) Uh, Yes, tell your friends to tune in to us. I
2: will, I will definitely.
1: We'll keep you posted on when it it comes out so you can... um, listen okay yeah yes, have you definitely. uh have you joined our facebook page or twitter
2: no you should uh send me the link and i'll i'll look for it
1: we'll know. invite you oh okay. hey, i even get an invitation. yes we will <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes 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 you do all right rob well thank you so much again and we look forward to talking all right. to you Sounds soon good. thank you rob
2: yep. bye
0: bye bye all right, so
1: that was our friend and, Rob Hudson. Uh, Rob was actually my uh, cane travel instructor when I was at blinding. so I I definitely know all the uh, the uh, techniques that he was talking about, and can relate in most everything. And um, this all brings back so many travel memories. <laughs> But, um, yeah, like, it's cane travel. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, we're going to be bringing on our second guest to this podcast real soon.